This is episode 76 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, A Perspective on Gender Roles Over the Past 70 Years. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show. And thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I am thrilled to have another Crittenden on the show and live in the studio. This one I am related to very closely. I'm delighted to welcome my mother, Kathy Crittenden, to the show. And I thought it would be interesting to talk to her with her long experience of working with men over the past decades, and that we would just chat about what it was like when she was younger and then middle-aged and what her observations are now. So welcome to the show, Mom. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. One of the things that I'm observing since it's now 2020 is that we still see a lot of complaints from women about working with men. It can cause a lot of hard feelings as they observe what they think are cases of discrimination or lack of respect and so forth. And I think in the flurry of the moment, we sometimes forget how much has changed. So I thought I would turn to you as an expert over the past few decades. And I don't have a formal bio for you for the listeners, but I wanted to let them know you were born in the 30s and became a wife and mother in the 50s. You really are a 50s woman, the subject of which was The Feminine Mystique. And I often think about that book when I talk to you about what your life was like and what messages you received when you were young. And you really were one of those women who was sent to college to find a husband. Which Unfortunately. It's like a cliche, but it's actually true. And as you look back now on the 50s, Mom, what messages do you think were given to men and women that you think are really different now? Oh, there's a horrendous change. We women in the 50s were clearly assigned a particular role in life, top to bottom, and obstructions were put in our way to force us into that role. For example, I was not allowed to choose the college or my college major. That was pre-designed. I was to be a homemaker and wife and apparently mother, although they never mentioned that part because of the sex thing. You know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they will mysteriously appear, those yes, children. Yes, yes. <laughs> And uh, many women were pressured by their mothers to provide grandchildren. It was clearly an assignment and uh, caused some of my friends to be borderline psyched out about it all. There was the role assignment was very clear. I had for myself some pretty clear goals in life, and they were irrelevant, completely irrelevant. And my parents, I don't know about my dad, because he basically was always on my side, but my mother just kiboshed that completely. But I had a mechanical drawing teacher in high school 
who somehow found out that I wanted to be a home builder, house designer, and he set up a special project for me, one student. And um, I did have to find my own client, but it just so happened a friend of the family was getting ready to build a house for themselves and their four children. And so I went and talked to that woman, and she hired me to design their house. And when the house was built, there were many things in it that did fit my design. So uh, that was my big, oh, yeah, that's what you want to do uh-huh. a moment. So then I picked out a uh, college to go to. It was in Ann Arbor, Michigan. But I'm not sure where I got the message, but somehow I got the message that that was not to be. So I had to go to the University of Wisconsin, join a sorority, be successful socially. In fact, one night my dad showed up at the dorm. I had started to go through sorority rush Mm -hmm. and I couldn't hack it. I really could not (laughs) hack it. And so I was just so demoralized by that that I let loose the idea that I wasn't going to join a sorority. Uh My dad showed up at my college dorm and he told me that if I didn't join a sorority, my mother would pull me out of college. Wow. That's how strong the pressure was in the 50s for people like me. Mm -hmm. So... um, That was the 50s, and I decided that if I was going to be a housewife, I would start now. So I ran away and got married. (laughs) (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) You know, the term that keeps coming to mind as you're telling that story is agency. You know, that you really didn't have your own agency back then. Oh, not at all. Mm -hmm. Not at all. And they thought they were doing the right thing. Sure. They firmly believed that that was my path to success. Well, it, it was con- a concerted effort. I mean, you've talked about they, you guys needed to leave jobs so that men could have those jobs. And it was a time when there was family building in the United States, so we needed more children. And then right. as she explains in The Feminine Mystique, consumerism was on the rise and we needed shoppers. And so Mothers at home with new and labor-saving equipment were excellent shoppers. And so there were all these forces that came together to basically put you in a certain position and exploit you and your labor. Sure. It all made sense. Mm -hmm. But some of us didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And the damage of it, I think, has really been visible in a lot of people's lives of your age you know, that we saw so much depression amongst the housewives. Yeah. Of course, a lot of divorce. I don't know what else you see, but I feel as though, you know, it wasn't happily ever after for those people. No, it's It's, for me, it's so sad because there were so many women who, well, they committed suicide for one thing, several of my friends. They just, because they didn't feel that their lives had been worthwhile. So I consider it very sad. For my my part, I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky person. Mm -hmm. So I think I came through it. The only thing that happened is I had no earning power when I hit my 40s. And um, my husband decided that he had spent enough time in married life and he wanted to do other things. 
But there I was with no earning power. And so that was a very traumatic time for me. But in general, you know, I ended up very happily and Mm -hmm. (laughs) lots of wonderful grandchildren. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it all worked out for me. Mm Sometimes I have a little bit of trouble with self-respect just because I, a lot of my friends, my younger friends now, they have really wonderful careers. And I am a little bit embarrassed um, about not having that. But uh, so many women my age are already gone. <laughs> right. There's that, too. Right. You've lived a long time. Well, we will talk about your accomplishments because I do think that they are laudable. But one more thing. Can you tell us... What happened when you suggested that you become an architect? Oh, well, (laughs) I mean, it was not, it was as if I said I wanted a new pair of shoes. It just wasn't important at all. I think they didn't believe me or something like that. They did not take it seriously at all. Mm -hmm. They kind of thought it was just another whim, I think. Yeah. Even when I did that project and produced a body of work mm-hmm. in that line. I was very surprised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the woman, my mother's friend for whom I did the house design, did take it seriously and and did use my ideas in their when they built their house. So she was she took me seriously mm-hmm. and uh, but I guess I think maybe especially a mother like my mother had an image of she was an immigrant Mm -hmm. and she had a certain very narrowly defined of what American womanhood was successful and she was gonna I wasn't gonna be a little Swedish girl I was gonna be an American woman like according to her design so I'm in sympathy with her motives. Mm-hmm. It just that it made me a less serious person. Sure. More frivolous, more not caring. And I never really thought very much about my future mm-hmm. after that disappointment about going where I was going to go to college. I quit college. I went back twice, <laughs> three times, <laughs> and finally did get a degree at age 50. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... I did finally achieve, now I can check the box when it Mm -hmm. says if you have a four-year college degree, I can check the box. Uh So that's nice. Uh That's meaningful, right? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I couldn't have been successful. Who knows? Who knows, right? So I want to ask you, and it's a little bit of a cliche, but you hear a lot of women say, my parents always told me I could be whatever I wanted to be. And I just want to clarify that that was not said to you. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. Oh, no. You will be what we tell you to be, even though they didn't really acknowledge that. Well, it's interesting to me to hear you say that that your mother had this ideal woman that you were supposed to, because I'm not sure that woman exists, right, except on television or something, right? I mean, she was pursuing something that, could potentially just not be real. Well, she married into a socially prominent family, and she married a man that she thought would earn money. So she felt like that was the best she could do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, she had a specific recipe for how to do what she thought should be done. Mm-hmm. And marrying was marrying young was part of that to secure your economic future. 
Yeah, marrying well. The thing that always breaks my heart about your generation is that the generation ahead of you often did work, like your mother worked. And that we have this weird generation where you were told, just be home, just be, just be a homemaker. Post-war. Yeah, exactly. And so we have this weird generation, this niche generation in there that really is quite different than the generations around it. Exactly. And it was for a very short period of time. By the time I was a mother, I realized that most people were having careers. Most people, a little bit younger and a little bit older, they all had careers. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of just a few of us in there who didn't, although we were told we had a career, wife and mother. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Just no compensation, no awards, no conferences, no recognition. But, oh, yeah, you guys are doing great work. (laughs) Okay, now tell me... Tell me what happened when the 60s came along. Oh, brother. Well, hmm. what happened in the 60s? Well, the Beatles, for one thing. Music, rock and roll. And, of course, the big one was we had the pill. Yeah. That was the real biggie. And the 60s were, they were fun. We had a lot of fun. We were not the pot-smoking, rock concert-going people because we were home with three, four, five kids, for one thing. But we kind of got the rhythm, so to speak, or the noise, the sound, the beat. Mm-hmm. And so we, did, we danced. Mm-hmm. We browbeat our husbands into going dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Good movies, funny movies. Uh, in the 50s, you know, the movies we saw were about housewives and the war and how to make make a good dinner, how to have a good party. There were things like that, but they weren't carefree. Right. And they weren't our own. They were things we had to copy out of a magazine. We all subscribed to Women's Day. Red Book was another one that was very risque. We mm-hmm. read that. And so we suddenly got some pretty, pretty big ideas about who we could be, you know, but didn't really work out until our husbands started to leave us. Then, well, I think the women started to tell you the truth, uh, because a lot of women, just maybe five, ten years younger than I was, went into these um, where you examine your navels or whatever they were examining. (laughs) They were examining something with mirrors. I'm not sure what it was exactly. Like a retreat or something like that? What did we call it? There was a name for it. An awakening, not something like awakening, Mm -hmm. waking up to not what you could have been, but what is going on. So we we saw women who were liberated, Uh but we weren't them Uh because we were past the possibility of doing that or something. Mm -hmm. And that was a wonderful decade, you know, because things changed so fast. Mm -hmm. So there was just lots of excitement. So that's that was fun. Mm-hmm. It always struck me the contrast of the fifties to the sixties, and what someone like you, uh, you know, you had me when you were twenty-five. Uh-huh. So what it must have been like to be in the middle of the sixties? You've already got two kids, and there's all this craziness going on, yeah, on right. around you, and you're like, "Wait, this is <laughs> this is that's what I right. was told it was going to be." <laughs> 
they're doing that, yeah. <laughs> oh, and they're doing that. Woo-wee. Right, yeah. Let me at it. But, of course, we didn't because we were responsible people. Now, at that, that's the point, if I have my date straight, that you started doing a lot of civic work. And so you were involved with the League of Women Voters and then eventually became an elected official. Right. And that kind of brings us to the topic for today, which is at that point, you began working pretty closely with men, right? Because a lot of those positions were held by men. And of course, our property required a lot of labor from men, and I was the one who managed that. Right. So contractors, construction workers. Yeah. Yeah. So I've said here, people associated with running, I called it a small farm. I don't know how quite to describe it, but for the listeners, it was a large piece of property, 200 acres, and Kathy built uh, the house that was built on that property for our family, which was completed in 1968. Correct. You finally did find an outlet for some of those design. For my building. Uh (laughs) Some of those design talents. So tell, tell me about your early experiences working with men in that context. You know, I was always interested in stuff that men were interested in. And I think that might have had a lot to do with my dad. Because he called me Pete. I was supposed to be his boy before I was born. And so I worked with him a lot, you know. And he was a traveling salesman, so he was gone. And whenever he left the house for the week to go out on his route, he would say, take care of your mom and sister. So I was kind of thrust into a man's role in a mm. way, but I liked it. I mean, I loved taking care of all those chickens and other troubleshooting things that came along, and I loved to find out how things worked. Then when I started hiring men, at first, when they get to know me, they kind of don't believe me, they would say things like, well, I would like to talk to the man of the house, or I would like to talk to the boss, or I would like to talk to the horse. And one guy, I said, you're talking to the horse. (laughs) (laughs) And he laughed. He didn't get mad, but it brought him up short, I think. And he shut up and uh, paid attention to what I was saying then. So I had quite a lot of, and I was small and kind of cute, And so I always had trouble being taken seriously. Mm -hmm. But in a way, that helped because they weren't threatened by me. Mm -hmm. I was just another one of the boys, and we laughed, and I got along just fine with them. I don't remember other than the silliness they do, like, oh, you don't know, or you're too small, or you talk like a man, or all the silly things they say, you know. I don't think they or I took any of that kind of talk seriously. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't get my back up because we were all talking silly. Yeah, I didn't have, like I say, I knew I wasn't taken seriously. But in the long run, I mean, after a time, that part of their opinion of me fell away. Because I knew what I was talking about. I was serious about what I was talking about. I was not using feminine wiles to get what I wanted. I was using money and voice and, you know, I was serious. Mm -hmm. And so I think that um, I feel really bad when I hear women shutting down that kind of jocularity between men and women because it was fun. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed working with those people. I think women, when they start taking things so seriously, they just miss a lot of the fun of associating with men. 
And I suppose a lot of it was flirty, but I was flirty, they were flirty, nobody took it seriously. And it worked out fine. So, I don't know, I, I feel bad about what's happening now. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think it's unfair to everybody. So I'm going to go back to Southern Sporting Goods <laughs> because I used to hang out there and watch you interact with those guys, uh-huh. developers and the politicians, the county commissioners. This was a, a store in downtown Bloomington on the square that had a bar, not a liquor bar, but a soda bar. But a soda bar right. So I would sit on the stools there and bang my feet against the bar and watch you interact with these guys. And I was so admiring of you because of your ability to keep up with them, right? You weren't at all cowed by them. And I think they loved it. I think they loved that you would spar and josh and give it back as much as they gave it to you. And what I could see, and I think this is something that I carried into my career, was you were building a relationship And although it's not pretty, right, it's not politically correct, and it probably had some, you know, some, some moments in there, which today we might say, oh, no, you know, you shouldn't say that. As you say, you guys went with the flow, right? And, Mm -hmm. and so nobody got their feelings hurt. This was just part of getting to know each other and working things out and compromising. I mean, I remember the jokes about, though, you know, that's because you're a Republican, you know, those kinds of those kinds of um, insults, but they're not really insults, right? It's just a way No, of- they're affection. That's the thing. They're affection that just seems to get missed. In today. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, did that, do you think that came naturally to you, that ability to kind of hang with the guys, or do you think you learned that as you went along? I think I knew how to do it before I had to put it into practice. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. where the, I always wondered why I was so comfortable with men. And when you and I were talking about this podcast, I thought maybe it's because I had such a good relationship with my father. <laughs> he was funny because he had to tell me how to behave like a lady from a man's point of view. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, really, it really was. I remember one time he said to me, now, Kathy, about 2 a.m. in the morning, men get kind of, their resistance goes down. <laughs> and, that's, and so I understood that I was with a guy and we were snuggling. When the clock struck two, I had to start being careful. <laughs> And then he would tell me if I was sitting, not like a lady, he would point out how I was sitting improperly. And he always told me when I went out on a date, like a golf date, now don't win at golf. I mean, he was really coaching me Mm -hmm. to get along as a woman in a man's world. And I think that made a difference for me. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because on one hand, I can hear some of my younger listeners going, you know, it shouldn't be that way. <laughs> she should be able to win if she's good. But, you know, it, it shows some concession to other people's expectations, whether it's a gender thing or, or an age thing or all these other ways we develop expectations of other people. It's just good to be aware. Well, and he was educating me right. for the world that we were in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
because he he knew much better than I that there may be some dangers out there. Because mm-hmm. I never saw danger. I just liked to play with the boys, mm-hmm. and I I was pretty good at their games. Mm-hmm. I I couldn't hit a ball or throw very well, but most other sports I could do pretty well mm-hmm. enough to beat them, like golf and ping pong. <laughs> All right. Uh, So you also eventually became an elected official, a a county councilwoman. And I remember when you left with Ray, my dad, for the victory party, you were very dressed up. And I was very proud of you, of course, for winning this election. And you guys were going to go off to this party. And my brother and I were going to stay behind. And we were, at least I was at the door. I think both of us were at the door, like to see you off all fussied up for your great victory party. And Ray opened the door and turned to us kids and said, we're going to go check out the White House. (laughs) (laughs) Did Ray say that? Yeah, Yeah, that sounds like Ray. (laughs) Um, So tell me what it was like to be a woman in politics back then. Well, there were very few of us, and many women got there when their husbands dropped dead. And they got their positions. And that's happening today. Mm, yeah. That's a way. In fact, on county council, my this other woman and I were the first women who were ever elected to county council in Monroe County. So that was a big deal. That was the time when everyday people were beginning to believe they had some power. Mm. That was new then. Up to that time, it was more like it is now. Oh, you can't do anything. You know, it's can't beat City Hall, on and on. Well, we did. Mm. And uh, we changed a lot in the county. Just in four years, we changed a lot. I don't know if it was the times. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether it was because we decided to do that. I don't know what the reason was, but we got Sheriff's Merit Board. We got a sewage countywide ordinance. We got school reorganization. We got rid of commodities and replaced it with food stamps. I mean, these were huge improvements in the life of our everyday people. Yeah, we were believers and we were movers and shakers and we won a lot of stuff. So I'm sorry that politics is so unpleasant now because it wasn't then. Mm. Um, We were kind of, especially I was a little odd uh, because I was a country woman and, and in academia, I was a professor's wife. So I moved out of the city, kind of, to the county, which so there weren't many people like me mm-hmm. out in the county. But I was popular. I went door-to-door to register people to vote, and they were very impressed that I was out in the Willy Wilds knocking on strangers' doors, and I loved it. I loved every minute of it, meeting people who were kind of hidden. Mm-hmm. And... We had this big school reorganization fight, and one of the bus school bus drivers was very mad that we were taking away the power from the township trustees to assign bus contracts. His name was Mayor... Oh, I guess I shouldn't say his name, should I? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I said to him, look, I said, when we're reorganized and we have a big school district, you can be on the school board. And wouldn't you know, 10 years later, he was on the school board. So it was that kind of change that, because he never dreamed he could be on the school board. I see, interesting. That was, those were the city people who got that perk. Right. You know. 
So we made lots and lots of wonderful changes for local government. It was very satisfying. And, of course, there were funny things. I would hear gossip, uh, you know, some of my friends, men friends in city government would tell me what people were said about me, you know. I don't know why they did that. They, I guess they wanted me to realize something. I don't know. But I, I used the information, you know, when they gave me a tip-off of who was spreading bad rumors about me, I could go and head, a, head those off, you know. And not get your feelings hurt. Oh, never. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's really hard to hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why you were good in politics. Yeah. yeah. So I think you were pretty definitively elected, so you were popular. Oh, with I the, led the Republican ticket in the primary. So do you think it helped you to be a woman or hurt you, or do you think it didn't matter? I think it helped me because the city Republicans wanted a woman who was Serious, number one. Number two, genuinely interested in what they were interested in. I wasn't interested in a lot of so-called women's issues because I could see what was important. And at the county level, there wasn't much that could help women at the county level. That, I think that's really helpful, again, to think about what you focus on when you're working are you going to mm-hmm. focus on what you can achieve, or are you yes. going to focus on the fact that you're not being taken as seriously because you're a woman? We were strictly action-oriented. We have very specific goals. We had it written down, and we knew who to talk to, and uh, people could see that. So today, we often talk about how female politicians struggle with public and media perceptions. And what are your observations? Well, there are a ton of good women politicians. There are a lot of them. Sometimes they get sidetracked. And I think that's so unfortunate because because they have so much to add. Mm -hmm. So when they're sidetracked by this one got mad at me or that one got mad at me or that one doesn't like my dog, or that one didn't like where I parked. When they get sidetracked is when we all lose. Mm-hmm. So if they stay focused and they know what they're talking about, you have to know what you're talking about. They're a marvelous resource for our communities because they, they have such uh, stick-to-itiveness, you know. They, they don't go flying off to the golf course every Wednesday afternoon, you know. They work hard when they're doing a civic duty, and it shows. Where I'm living now, my gosh, the women just, they achieve so much in local government, Mm -hmm. you know, really effective people, and very busy. Mm -hmm. They're very busy people, and they have wonderful, good communication with voters. Mm -hmm. They're very good at, the women are very good at that, because they don't talk at those voters, They are really talking with those voters. Women are quite a bit better at that, I think, than men. And that's where it's at. It's it's occurring to me as we're talking that there's a lot of complaining about how female politicians are treated. But it seems to me, as I'm thinking about the kinds of complaints that I hear, they're often complaints about the media, not, not necessarily the voices of the women themselves, 
but the media saying, oh, look how so-and-so treated that female politician, or look how the media is treating that female politician. But we don't, at least I don't hear the, the, the politicians themselves or these female leaders in general saying, oh, woe is me, look how I'm being dissed or disrespected or, or shown in a negative light. It's kind of funny that it just occurred to me that it's kind of this problem where people are criticizing things happening outside of the politician. I mean, I guess I'm thinking about you saying, I didn't care whether or not people treated me with disrespect. I was just going to get the work done. So you wouldn't be going, you know, in a press conference or complaining and saying, oh, look, woe is me, how I'm being. You're just working. No, when you're when you're working for governmental change, you don't have time. You don't have time for all that me 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 stuff. Uh-uh. No. No, in fact, that would be a terrible way for a woman to waste her time, you know, worrying about whether her hair was fixed or what. Now, that's okay for TV personalities. Mm-hmm. But that's not okay for women politicians. No. Uh-uh. And you notice a lot of those women are very rough-looking. You know, you can tell they don't go to the beauty shop all the time. And, you know, they're, no, that's not who those people are. Mm-hmm. They're very focused. Mm-hmm. And we were that back then, too. We were very focused. If you were trying to use feminine wiles, you could not get public attention. I mean, nobody cared about that. So you had to be sticking to business, and here's the ordinance, and here it has to be changed, and, you know, it just, it was work. Mm-hmm. So I think I hear other women report thing, that they're told things that you sometimes say you were also told, like, uh, you're not like most women, or you think like a man, and what was your reaction then, and what do you think about that now? <laughs> the one time that I remember so specifically, I was so shocked, I think my mouth dropped open and I didn't say anything for 10 minutes because, well, first of all, when they were talking about women, this group of men, I was listening and feeling very puzzled. And then I said, but I'm a woman. So one of the guys said, oh, well, you think like a man and just completely dismissed me. And that was when my jaw dropped to the floor. I couldn't believe that what I just heard, because it was so dismissive. Mm-hmm. And so I fought back. I said, yeah, right. So then I managed to participate in the conversation, whatever it was. But <laughs> I was very taken aback when I first heard that. So, And I was kind of amused. Yeah, maybe I did think like a man in some ways, but I am. You believe me, I am a woman. <laughs> And then some of them just thought I was cute and kind of uh, one of the pieces of gossip that I heard from a friend saying, oh, that county commissioner said, oh, just pat Kathy on the ass. She'll be okay." And I laughed. Mm -hmm. I mean, why not? It's funny. And it was just so untrue. I mean, you know, he was whistling past the graveyard (laughs) (laughs) because he knew better than that, you know. So, I don't know. It didn't slow me down. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that somebody can say something like that 
oh, you're not like most women, which is really a kind of a, a strange thing to say to someone. I suppose the intention, well, it could be an observation, but it's kind of disempowering too, right? Like, oh, well, whoosh, you know, off with you. And it's interesting that your reaction wasn't, you know, to to become smaller and to diminish yourself, but instead really take an opportunity to be like, <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. right, exactly. And, exactly. and that, I think there's a great lesson in there for us today to not take some of these comments at face value and give them power. But instead, and if we do that, and if we get overly preoccupied with, well, that's sexist, then now the argument is about something completely different, right? Now you can't have a conversation about what really matters. Now you're drawn off in the weeds to talk about relationships between men and women. And I think right now in today's conversations, I hear a lot of conversation that's really counterproductive in that way. Instead of telling people, forget all that b- baloney, just work together, get stuff done, right? Don't get so preoccupied with what they said to you. Mm-hmm. And have your list of to-do mm-hmm. with you mm-hmm. and bring that up mm-hmm. and laugh off the disempowering aspect. Don't even think that it's disempowering. Exactly. Because it might get hold of you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so if somebody says, oh, just pat Kathy on the ass and she'll be okay. I mean, I can imagine in today's world that really blowing up into something mm-hmm. very distracting, right? right. And right. and we still have the power, even today, to just laugh it off and move yeah. on. You think so? Watch me. <laughs> right. You know, because I did get pat on the ass a time or two, you know, and that really didn't slow me down at all. Yeah, so it's interesting that your reaction today wouldn't really be any different than it was Mm -mm. back then. No. I think that's an interesting observation. All right, so in today's world, do you have any advice for women who are working in a male-dominated environment? Well, have fun. Men are fun, I think. Get your ducks in a row. Have your list of to-dos and how-tos, not just list of honey-dos, but this way. We're going to do it this way for these reasons. Get on board or get away from me. You really have to be brave because people are going to try to make you weak because that's what they think they can do to women, make us weak. But, But they can't because we're stronger. And so their efforts to make us weak are silly. And you should make them realize they're silly. I'm trying to remember a specific thing this city council guy tried. He said, um, I I wanted to go to a power lunch with those men. They had lunch together up at the courthouse with one of the judges. And I wanted, like, everything to be in one of those meetings. And so he was a personal friend. I mean, we were friendly. And so I asked him to take me to lunch there. And he said... They'll think we're having an affair. And I said, oh, poo, who cares? And that was the end of it. It wasn't, it was a non-issue. You know, I didn't care. Let them think that. What difference did it make, you know? So I think relax. But do, do get in there and mix it up, you know? Don't walk around the edges. Walk in the middle. And, uh, and you'll win because you're smart. 
If you're not smart, stay home. <laughs> Don't play. That's a fascinating example because we are hearing now from a lot of professional men that they don't want to spend time with women in social situations like that, which aren't really social situations, right? Because they're worried about being accused of something, not necessarily of having an affair with that person, but of being accused of sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior. And I've been so baffled by this because you know, if you if that if you're going to allow that level of fear to govern your professional life, you're in big big trouble. Right. Right. And then I wonder, well maybe it's just an excuse, right, to avoid having to interact with female colleagues. And that seems a little I mean these are all generalizations and so they're probably not always true or even often true. But you know, I mean the the colleagues that I worked with, even if they had some of those fears, I think they were very fleeting and very small. It just, it just wasn't an issue. Yeah, and make sure that it's not true. Yeah. Don't use your feminine wiles when you should be using your smarts. Yeah, I think that's very powerful. And, and exactly what you did is really interesting because you just shoved that worry away. But if we, again, if we embrace that worry and give it credibility and start talking about, oh, right, men, they're just uncontrollable. If, if they have lunch with a woman, they'll just <laughs> lose their minds. Yeah. Yeah. Then we've really reduced the conversation. You have to remember that if you're not sleeping around, then being accused doesn't matter. But if you are, careful. You better not be doing that. Mm -hmm. That will sap your power faster than anything. So don't do it. Not worth it. Yeah, that was always my observation that whatever whispers about that would really be shut out or shut down by someone's reputation. You know, you have a professional, hardworking woman. <laughs> she's not doing, you know, she's not doing stuff like that. She's right. focused on other things. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, there are women who that's what they want in life, apparently. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't think most women do want to be chased by men. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. That's not really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people are bringing up litigation as an excuse for all of this, you know, being terrified of women or spending time with women or traveling with women. But it's hard to know how much of that is valid. Right, because you hear a story. Well, a story doesn't make the whole country, right? So I suspect all of this stuff is being blown way out, way out of proportion. That's my sense. Yeah, and that's boy braggy talk, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. They were cute men, you know, and under other circumstances, you know, it would be different. But we were working, mm -hmm. and I had a goal. Mm -hmm. We had to make real change, and I think now <laughs> it's even more important because it's more complicated. Making real change now is really tough. Back then, everybody dumped their garbage out the window and thought nothing of it. Well, you know, that's not these days. So as you're—and I'm struck again as, I'm, as we're talking 
of the role of the media in all this. And I just think that it's we have to be careful to trust the media to accurately be presenting what's really happening in workplaces because they're in the entertainment business. And so to tell stories of men and women working hard together, you know, day after day to accomplish things and get interesting products out on the market and analyzing them and selling them and all these things is like boring. So instead, we have to tell some sensational tale about how this thing between a man and a woman at work, you know, came into this crazy thing. I think we just need to be careful about taking stories in the media as representative of what's really happening in our workplaces. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No. If you uh, manage to see a lot of city or county council meetings on TV or hearings at the in Congress, you will see that those people are working. They're not jockeying for position or insult. Because if you're working on hard problems, you're not messing around with all that other gossip stuff. I wonder if that's true of politics in general. Oh, yeah. If the media presents politics in a particular way that isn't really reflective of what's really happening behind the scenes as, as politicians are working. I watch an awful lot of politicians on C-SPAN and in real life, too. I, I don't see all this, oh, your hair looks so terrible, or, or stop flirting with that guy. Or That's not familiar to me as a woman in politics, that kind of environment is not familiar to me. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to, over the course of our conversation today, to think about how much of what we think about is happening is actually coming from the media instead of from the real players. Could be. I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I hadn't thought about that, Jennifer. I know that media people are totally preoccupied with appearances. Substance is of no importance. So when they're at a hearing, they're not doing anything like I'm doing at a hearing. Yeah, they're looking for the story, right? And the the sad thing is that the best stories are there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what's really sad. I mean, when I think back on what we got done in the 60s and 70s, people don't know those stories. Mm-hmm. And they are amazing improving the whole water supply for example Mm -hmm. Uh, getting the sheriff to be a real law enforcement instead of a buddy buddy system you know I mean lord we got a lot done important stuff and probably most people don't know those stories don't know what we did yeah I think there's always a perception by media people that their audience isn't particularly interested in substance. And I'm, I'm not sure I agree. I mean, there are different audiences for different things. But I feel as though our, even our conversation has gotten more and more trivial over this span that we're talking about, you know, the last, you know, 70 years. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of that stuff is hard. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, and if, you know, if you're a storyteller, you can tell how the sewage went from running down the sidewalk to being in pipes. But, you know, you have to tell the story. Mm-hmm. And most people think they don't want to know that stuff, but they do. 
or if it's well told. Yes. And that's why I think having a historical perspective, I hope you don't mind me <laughs> calling you having a historical perspective, but honestly, there aren't a lot of people who talk about gender issues who have a 70-year perspective. And that's really what I wanted to cover in this podcast because we don't talk about what's changed and and how you can be how you could be successful even in an environment that was much less conducive to equal treatment of, between oh, the two yeah. sexes. Yeah. No, I women are very different now than they were when I was their age. Very different people, you know, because they day by day their lives are less interesting uh, back then, you know, cuz what did you do? You spent all your time with toddlers, you know? So it's really different. Much better. Much better, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. More opportunity for women, you would say. Sure, more acceptance of your interests. Yeah, a woman's life now is very... I can't say I'm sorry that I didn't have that because I have other things. Mm -hmm. But I sure would enjoy being a woman now, I'll tell you, I would. I'm too tired to, <laughs> to really do it. A lot of people had tried to pull me back into politics, but I was tired. Uh -huh. So I'm watching and squirming <laughs> sometimes. I don't like some of the, I don't like the Me Too thing. Tell, tell me about that. That was my last question for you was about the kind of the conversation today. How do you feel about that? I just want every time I think about the men who have been ruined, mm. I just, oh, gosh, I hate to see that. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just so not worth what little gain. There is a little gain. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's without gain, but compared to the cost, mm -hmm. it's just wrong. It's really wrong. Come on, ladies. Uh, yeah, interesting. Hard for me to, to acknowledge what has been done without... Without acknowledging the damage that's also been done. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I do tend to say, oh, I think that there's good that's come out of it because we've heard so many more stories than I ever anticipated hearing. And the extent of some of the abuse, you know, the Harvey Weinstein and the Epstein, you know, really egregious, oh, some egregious Some of those things. guys should be strung up, no doubt of it. But not all. Of yeah, I think that's the that's what we're seeing is the and it often moves that way, right? Uh, there there gets to be a movement or a momentum in a certain direction, and suddenly now, you know, it's just crazy, right? But there's no making a sexist remark is as bad as rape, and you know, there's no spectrum of behavior anymore that's acknowledged. And, and take the Harvey Weinstein thing, yeah. But now what? He's gone. See what see what happened. You needed to go at that in a different way, because now he's gone. Now those poor children that were mistreated, you know, there's no justice there. Oh, you're talking about Epstein. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to um, look at your gains and losses. Mm -hmm. Well, it'll pass, of course, but, and well, I guess I don't want to get started on all that. <laughs> Because there's so much destruction on both sides. Uh -huh. That's the other thing. That's what worries me, is that we've made the conversations between men and women more fraught now, less yeah. understanding, less kind. 
and that we haven't moved more in the direction of let's listen to each other and learn from each other, but more strident, more accusatory. To me, that's a step in the wrong direction. And acknowledge, I mean, there is a real problem. I'm not denying that. But we get so pulled off in every chameleon different directions that we don't solve the problem. That's the thing. There are some bad guys, and they need to be taken care of. But that's not what's happening. There's a whole bunch of good guys that are swept up with the bad guys, and it's not good. But But I think with more conversations... More understanding, more historical perspective, I'll use that again. I think, you know, I think we can learn and every step forward that we take, although bad things happen, if we can learn from the bad things, Mm -hmm. then overall we can make things better. But I I just love your focus on work. I think that's such a powerful reminder to people when you get caught up in these sorts of things and HR gets involved and all that. It's like, wait, wait, wait. Remember what Kathy said, focus on the work. Yeah, yeah. Because there is so much satisfaction in good work, much more than making a mess of somebody else. Uh Uh-huh, right. The one-upsmanship is just destructive. Mm -hmm. Well, Mom, I've kept you on the show way longer than you probably thought I would. And I just want to thank you not only for being on the show, but also for all the work that you've done over the decades to improve our lives, including mine. Well, thank you, sweetheart. That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. In keeping with the new year, we'll be changing our format somewhat as the show has evolved. We'll continue to address work-related problems, but in our second year, we'll be going beyond just an advice show to talk about work trends, labor laws, economics, interesting companies, as well as pranks, bad bosses, and more screw-ups at work. If you have a question about a work-related issue or a comment about the show, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website discreetguide.com. That's D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T. And at that website, you can also sign up for The Pergola, a digital publication that comes out every other month, and get information about training programs, books, consulting sessions, articles, jokes, and resources, all for us to work better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces. And thanks for listening. New shows will be available every Tuesday and sometimes Friday. Tune in so you can hear more about trouble at work.